Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well. Quick apologies for this episode being out a day late, certainly not a dollar short because we're going to have plenty to talk about in the Spanish Grand Prix review. So I hope you guys are all well and looking forward to joining in with some of the discussion points we have for this episode. As always, before we get into the discussion. We ask for your support depending on which platform you choose to follow us on and if you are watching this on YouTube you can like the video, subscribe to the channel. Of course if you listen to us on your favorite pod platform a five-star review would really help us out a lot. I know we keep asking about this but it really does help us reach new audiences and more people coming along to engage with us on these shows and that's all we could ask for. We love interacting with you guys so if you do listen to this show on your audio only platform please leave a five-star review if you can. It really does help the show out a lot. Joining me on the episode for another race review, we have Courtney Pine on the panel, sporting, for those of you watching this on YouTube, sporting a West Ham United top, appropriate given they've got a big European final this week. How are you feeling, Courtney? How are the nerves heading into that game on Wednesday night? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, Feeling nervous, but I'm going to enjoy it. As a West Ham fan, we don't often get moments like these. So a win would obviously be a massive bonus. I'll definitely have a headache a couple of days afterwards if we do go on to win it. But yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy the moment, enjoy the next couple of days. And generally speaking, I'm very happy. I'm also happy with where the Grand Prix went. I know we're going to go into it a little bit more in a moment. But the changes that have been made to the Spanish Grand Prix circuit have definitely improved the race event. Well, let's talk about that first, seeing as you've appropriately brought that up. Obviously, we know this weekend at the Spanish Grand Prix, the track layout was reverted back to very similar to what it was in the final sector back in 2006. So with the exception of Fernando Alonso, nobody had driven a Formula One car around this particular layout before this weekend. And whilst we weren't expecting there to be any baked in advantage for Fernando Alonso compared to the other drivers, and and it didn't show this weekend at all, I got to say, I think it worked in terms of providing a little bit more excitement and a much better spectacle for the F1 fans. Now, of course, the other section, I, I don't really have any problems with chicanes, but I think with modern F1 cars, I find chicanes to not really have the desired effect in terms mm-hmm. of creating exciting racing. If anything, they get more criticism probably than they would do with some of the older cars that we've seen go through that section. However, this this particular chicane is absolutely dreadful. And I don't think the new layout provided any more exciting racing than it would have done if it wasn't included. But I think for the fans and for those watching it in, on television, on the broadcast, to see the cars going full tilt around that particular section rather than slowing them down to a snail's pace, quite literally in some cases in that area, it really did make for a much more enjoyable spectacle. I mean, what were your thoughts, Courtney? Yeah, as, as I said, I've, I've, I feel that it improved the racing dramatically. Look, we, we don't, we don't, there is always a balancing act with, you know, making overtakes not too difficult, but not too easy. At the same time, and I feel that's what they were trying to originally do with the chicane. 
But as you said, Adam, with the modern day F1 cars, with the cars being so sensitive to dirty air, it just completely ruins the chance for the car behind to overtake. And we've been robbed of some great moments because of it. So I am. But again, I'm going to stick with the positives. It's definitely made a big difference. And I'm hoping some of the other circuits might look at this as a lesson with maybe reconfiguring their own circuits or even if we're going to have potential new venues in the future the designers should really look into this because i think i think it's very easy for us to complain about things that are wrong so i think for once it's nice that we can focus on a positive and again i just hope that some of the other circuits learn from this because the more the more changes like this the more we're going to enjoy the race spectacle in future races yeah i mean i totally understand why the old sector was introduced back in 2007 it was to try and create something a bit different and perhaps an overtaking opportunity going into the chicane i just think the way that it was incorporated into the circuit rather than allow it to be designed uh, organically and the circuits built around that it would have worked a lot better the layout they ended up going with because it had to be embedded in the current circuit layout it just didn't really work at all so i i don't think it really changed the racing that much if i'm honest i think it just made qualifying a little bit more exciting because we saw a lot of drivers have a little bit of jeopardy trying to negotiate a few bumps leading into the final corner there was a bit of optimism to see which driver if any would be able to go full throttle through the final corner I think over the course of the weekend, I don't think any one driver at any point in time actually went through that final corner at full speed. I think the closest we got was in qualifying, and believe it or not, I think it was Lance Stroll that actually had the smallest lift through that final corner. So it shows he obviously has a lot of confidence, and the Aston Martin is a very handy car, particularly in the high-speed corners. Um, But of course, we can't look any further away from... The story of the day, which was Max Verstappen once again solidifying the colossal advantage that he and Red Bull seem to have right now and absolutely dominating this Grand Prix. I think so much, so cool. I think we need to review this race in two segments where we have the actual race where Max Verstappen dominates and wins without any threat whatsoever. I think the only thing that really threatened him was perhaps his own boredom or trying to create scenarios for himself, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then the second part, or the second segment of this race that we should review, in its uh, own separate entity, if you like, is if Max Verstappen hypothetically decided he didn't want to turn up, he could win the championship without racing all the races, which to be fair, he probably could this season, and decided today I'm not going to turn up and race in Spain. And we just had everybody else after that, where we had Lewis Hamilton winning the Grand Prix and everyone else behind him doing their own race. Because I feel like, given how dominant Max Verstappen was, you have to analyse both those races like that. Oh, he was. He, he really was um, in a league of his own. Again, I, I'm glad you raised the border thing because, my God, I've been given so much grief um, on a couple of episodes in the comments about the racing being boring. Look, Max is obviously not complaining. He's he's going to be uh, a three-time world champion easily by the end of the season. He's going to have race win after race win. He's obviously enjoying it, but... Even Max was getting bored. Even even Max was getting so bored that he wasn't even keeping an eye on track limits. That's how bored he's getting. He was bored during the race, and he was also bored after the race. You can tell it's like, yeah, like I, I won, but it is it is. We saw the memes about it last year. It's like he's playing um the F one game on amateur mode, and it's a point that I've raised. And that's been a bit frustrating for me at times because I've I've raised some balanced arguments and only parts of the argument have been listened to. You always say that obviously winning is fantastic, but winning is more rewarding when there's more of a challenge. So fair play to Red Bull. They've done a great job. I've got the utmost respect for Adrian Newey. He, he's easily the best designer in F1. They're doing a fantastic job. You can't discredit what they've done. But even Max is bored. So I, I'm just putting it out there. You know, I hate to say I say I, I told you so, but here we are. But you can't take it away from Max. He's definitely the best driver on the grid at the moment. And I do think he will go on to challenge Lewis's um his records. Because what? He's he's only 25 and he's already creeping up. So, you know, Max has said himself, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll stay in F1. I don't care about stats, but I know for a fact. He's only human. When he starts creeping up on those records, he will want to start beating them. 
Well, it's the same thing that we heard for years with Sir Lewis Hamilton. Eventually, when he got to seven world championships and he'd won over 100 races, there was always that talk about, okay, you've done this, you've equaled Schumacher, you've got the outright number of wins, you've got the outright number of poles. I mean, I could be here having a podcast on my own for an hour talking about all of the records that Sir Lewis Hamilton currently holds in F1. And he was asked the same questions. And he always came out with the similar answers and saying, I'm not interested in the records. I'm here just to do my own thing. I'm enjoying myself. But we all knew that he was waiting to get that eighth world title. And this is why I said categorically that if Sir Lewis Hamilton had won the 20, well, say if, I'm not going to get into that argument, but let's say (laughs) Michael Massey, FIA doesn't happen. Hamilton wins Abu Dhabi, wins the world championship, eight-time world champion. He retires after that. I don't think he carries on. Um, because there's no reason for him to. He doesn't want to see the new era. What's the point? He's already cemented his legacy as the outright greatest of all time, um, and there's no argument to it. So we have got a similar situation with Max Verstappen here, albeit we know Max Verstappen is still a long way from overcoming those particular records. I mean, those stand in a class of their own for obvious reasons. That being said, though, the way Max is going, it won't be too long before we start asking those questions. And... The scary thought of Red Bull's dominance right now, particularly in Max Verstappen's hands, is that I still feel from certain parts of this race that Max was only driving to around 85%, maybe 90% at best of what this Red Bull is fully capable of. And it's indicative of some of the radio messages we heard throughout the race to Max Verstappen. Red Bull asking him, don't go for the fastest lap. Don't take any risks after we'd got a black and white flag for... Uh, exceeding track limits too many times of course one more he'd have got a time penalty for it and Max Verstappen still goes and does the fastest lap anyway by quite some margin so it just goes to show that yes of course you know Perez has had some struggles in this car and and that it is beatable when it's not in the right hands and they're not having a good day even in Max's worst days he was still finishing a very close second to his teammate I think I don't think he's finished lower than second so far this season and it just goes to show that right now Max Verstappen driving the way he is, which is in imperious form, Red Bull, given how strong they are. I I think you would struggle to find many examples of this level of dominance that is comparable to any other era in F1. Perhaps the only equivalent I could think of is perhaps 2004 Ferrari with Schumacher, 88 Senna Prost McLaren, 2020 Hamilton and Mercedes. Obvious example there. I don't think you can find much more dominant eras of F1 that we're experiencing right now with Verstappen and it's a testament to how good they both are right now of course and another thing like you know we're thinking about the longevity of Max's career Max could go on for another 15 years and of course we could have some um some young drivers that come through and truly challenge Max in the future but let's let's fast forward I don't know three or four years um I'd be surprised if um Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton are um, still in F1 by that point. I feel that right now, the only two drivers that could really give Max a challenge in similar machinery over the course of the season at this point are Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso. And I, I, I just feel that by the time the other teams generally catch up, neither of those drivers are going to be around anymore. So it's up for the likes of Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, and some other young drivers coming up. Max is definitely the benchmark of his generation. I've always said I expect him to be the driver of his generation. But even if we end up in a situation where the cars have similar machinery, I still feel that Max Verstappen is going to be the guy to beat. And I do feel the records will be beaten. Yeah. And even comparing Max Verstappen to other drivers in his generation, the likes of the George Russells, the Lando Norrises to a degree, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, those guys. And... You look at all of them and you see where their strengths are. In a way, it's not even close, the advantage Max has over these guys. Like, the the brilliance of the guy is just almost unmeasurable at this point. And, you know, someone was saying to me the other day, you keep saying Charles Leclerc is a better qualifying than Max Verstappen, albeit, you know, what happened this weekend may have been a bit different. But does that mean you believe that he is faster than Max? And I'm like, well, over one lap, I think Charles Leclerc is. But I think the lengths in which Charles Leclerc is willing to go to get that mm-hmm. performance over one lap compared to Max. And we've only seen Max on occasion do this. I think Jed, the prime example, a couple of years ago, obviously he didn't finish that lap. We know that already. But we saw a driver at his absolute limit, what they can do. But where Max's brilliance lies is just how 
effortlessly and how easily he was making it look, churning out lap time after lap time after lap time that some people would even consider impressive as a one-off push lap and that's it. But Max is doing this for 66 laps over two hours and the guy's making it look easy right now. I know he has a great car. Nothing can be said to, you know, detriment he's driving based on that alone purely because the guy is just doing an incredible job and I think because of how Perez is struggling equally at times it just shows yeah. how great Max is at the moment so make of that what you will but yeah right now he's just unbelievable form unbelievable driver unbelievable car it's just there's nothing you can do about it right now all we can hope for is that eventually we get to a point where the playing field will be leveled a little bit in terms of how competitive the rivals are to the point where they can challenge him again because 2016 was a great year 2021 was a great year not because Hamilton didn't win but because he was challenged by someone you know all the way through in almost equal machinery for 2021 2016 obviously um, they were equal and those seasons those seasons would have been equally loved if Hamilton had won both those seasons so it's not a light for light comparison but we need a bit more competitiveness in this championship because Max Verstappen is making F1 his play toy right now it's br- it's brilliant to see someone do so well but we want more uh, competition in that regard let's move away from Max Verstappen um, let's talk about Sergio Perez and as we've often said already in this show Max Verstappen doing a fantastic job looking unbeatable in this car but in Sergio Perez's hands when you're not able to extract that performance and really get on top of this car because it's not the easiest car in the world to drive we've seen that obviously they are beatable And that is a concern for Red Bull because back-to-back weekends, Perez has not got it right in qualifying and it has cost him in the race. He moved further up this weekend, but I'd be brutally honest and say, well, George Russell wasn't that far away from you in qualifying. And I'd say George Russell did a much better job in an inferior car at the moment. That must be a concern for Red Bull. Yeah, I don't I don't think Red Bull have much to be concerned about at the moment. They've got got the best driver in the world right now. They've easily got the best car but so I guess at the same time it will highlight you know when one of the drivers has a bad weekend we saw it obviously during the uh, Mercedes dominance and that's what ended up costing Valtteri Bottas his seat because when you've got the best car you should be more consistent and we're not seeing it from Sergio Perez right now we, we know he can have good weekends particularly on street circuits but I, I just feel and again we're seeing it with um, Valtteri Bottas in the past uh, obviously famously we saw it with Rubens Barrichello when you're up when you're racing up against one of the best drivers of all time or drivers who we expect to go on to be you know in the upper echelons you know legendary level drivers I just think it's very difficult mentally to week in week out be on that level I, I, I just think it's very difficult and I, I just feel that right now Sergio Perez is feeling the mental strain because when you've got the best car you know it's going to be very more often than not you're going to have to be on your game because the seven point gap seven or eight point gap swings week in week out again you need to be more consistent in order to challenge somebody like Max Verstappen so as I said where everything's sort of going unky-dory for Red Bull at the moment the one downside to it will be highlighted more because of how well Red Bull are doing yeah absolutely and I think for me what it comes down to is the issue that I think Mercedes had when they were dominant and that when things didn't go right or Sir Lewis Hamilton was having a very very rare bad weekend the hope would be whilst you have a dominant car and you're in this position right now that your number two driver is going to be there to pick up the pieces and get the result for you if the number one driver isn't able to deliver now In fairness to Max Verstappen, I think his level of consistency is so good right now and assuming the reliability of the Red Bull continues to hold up as it has been for some time now, that situation isn't going to happen very often. And it hasn't, in fairness. We saw a lot of that last season. It didn't really happen. However... Baku's probably the one weekend, isn't it, you can look at? It was, but but Perez was still there to pick up the pieces. And in other races that we are seeing recently, that is not happening. And... I was watching the race yesterday and I was thinking to myself, do you know what? I almost feel with Red Bull, the reason why they're asking Max not to push it too hard or do this or do that is because they're concerned that if something goes wrong, they've lost the win because Perez is not able to get back into that position. And 
that seems to be right now the only thing that can stop Max Verstappen at this point in time. So I feel like Perez's performances of late, there is a cause for concern because those of, well, not so much the points. I mean, I think Red Bull going to, I think Max can win this Constructors' Championship on his own at the moment, the way that he's going. But the rivals are there or thereabouts often enough where that is a cause for concern. And it almost feels that like right now, Red Bull publicly aren't acknowledging these issues for Perez. But I feel internally there might be a few questions being raised right now because, as I said, when Max has a bad weekend, the, usually it's P2 behind his teammate. When Perez has a bad weekend, points sometimes may be considered a good result. And that's not good enough considering how dominant Red Bull are at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think it's also you, you want to be prepared for a situation where your rivals do catch up. You want... You want both your drivers to be, you know, at a level of confidence. Whereas you said, let, let's let's just say hypothetically speaking, I don't know. Uh, let's we'll go to twenty twenty four, and for whatever reason, somehow one or maybe two of um, Ferrari and Mercedes have caught up with Red Bull. They're going to need both their drivers to be on a certain level consistently in order to challenge. They'll be able to get away with it this season but they will need to prepare themselves for a hypothetical situation where the, their rivals do catch up because, you know, we've mentioned it many times, Adam, I feel that Ferrari have a more than decent driver lineup. Carlos Sainz has been fairly consistent this season, for example. We know how good Charles Leclerc can be, even though he has a mistake in him. I think we'd probably say that George Russell and his Hamilton is probably the strongest driver lineup. So if these teams get close, that could be a political turn for Red Bull in future Constructors' Championships. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there was a moment in the race where Red Bull decided to pit Perez whilst he was on the hards to go on the softs to try and chase down George Russell. I personally felt that that was the wrong decision to go with. I think they might have been able to have him on the uh, harder tyres to go to the end. I'm just assuming that's... I mean, I'm assuming that Perez didn't start on hard tyres. I'd have to check to be sure. But if he did, then obviously this makes this point completely null and void because he wouldn't have been able to finish the race on those tyres. But um, it did feel to me that if they could have left him out, he'd, he could have tried to fight off both the Mercedes and try and keep a P2 with the performance advantage they had. As I said, I'm not going to scrutinise Red Bull too much on this because I just feel that, well, they probably had confidence that Perez could chase down George Russell anyway, and he didn't. So that is a bit of a concern. I suppose this kind of segues this in, Courtney, to your rant section. So uh, who's making Courtney's rant this week? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're going to be very surprised to hear this. The man himself, Christian Orner. No. Really? Uh, so look, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I didn't actually have much to complain about. I think overall it's been a positive weekend. I, I still feel that behind the Red Bulls, I still think we're going to get a lot of good battles between the teams behind them. So that's good to see. But it was the uh, the interview uh, involving Nico Rosberg and Christian Horner. And uh, look, Christian Norner is, he's very, very good at getting what he wants. And that, in the end, that, that's your job as a team principal. But it's sometimes the way they conduct themselves, he conduct himself during interviews just really riles me up. And it was just a way that he was sort of back chatting to, um, to Nico Rosberg. And I'm sure you're going to go into the details of that. Yes, we will, because this is actually quite an interesting segment to analyse. So, for those of you who didn't see this, Nico Rosberg, you know, one of the part-time pundits for Sky Sports F1, he was in the paddock this weekend. And there was an interview after the race where Christian Horner was talking about Red Bull's day. Then the topic of Sergio Perez came up. Christian Horner was under the impression that he felt Perez's performance was pretty good under the circumstances and his pace was quite good. Obviously, the natural comparison is going to be to his teammate and how dominant Max was. There was an expectation that Perez could have got on the podium this weekend, or maybe even more than that, didn't really happen. There was also an expectation that if Max Verstappen had started in P, what was it, P11 or P12, mm -hmm. wherever Perez 12, was, I think. 
he probably would have won the race. And I think the data suggested he probably would have had the performance to win the race. So obviously questions are going to be asked. And Rosberg basically challenged Horner's opinion, saying that he disagreed with Perez's, uh, the assessment of Perez's performance and felt that Perez left pace on the table. He didn't extract what he needed to, particularly in the opening stint. Horner then responded saying, oh, it's a bit interesting now that you've gotten out of the car and you're not driving anymore, that you're quite happy to criticise these drivers and throw you know criticism there. Obviously took refuge with the opinion Rosberg had. And I didn't think that was an unfair question from Nico Rosberg. I know a lot of people look at Rosberg as a pundit that is often quite sharp with his opinions. And obviously, you know, he's quite happy to scrutinise certain drivers. And maybe there is an element of, you know, was a former driver and now he's quite happy to criticise others. But at the same time, I was a little bit disappointed that Rosberg didn't bite back and say to Christian Horner something like, well, I've won a world championship, so I think I know what I'm talking about. Or even worse, and go and dig a Horner deeper and say, well, I beat Lewis Hamilton and I didn't need the FIA's help to do that to try and have, you know, a dig there. Sorry, Max fans, but I just thought it would be quite funny if Rosberg had actually responded in that way because... Uh, well, we know yeah. why he didn't as well because there's already, let's say, tension between um, Red Bull and Sky Sports F1 in the UK. Uh, they they obviously feel there's a bit of... Um, well, what we get accused of a lot of, the old uh, British bias against Red Bull, even though the, both the team principal and the design of the car are British, but let's not go there. I mean, to be um, fair, 90% of that comes from Ted Kravitz because Ted just doesn't give an F, quite frankly. <laughs> he's quite, he is quite honest and open with his opinions, and you know, you can take that what you want, guys. But uh, yeah, got to love Ted for, for some of that stuff anyway, but I digress. But yeah, no, I, I agree, but... I, 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 that might have been why Nico himself sort of uh, didn't go down that route. But I, I, but it's just been my general problem with Christian Orner in general. Look, I like it when people say it how it is, but it's just sometimes the tone in which he dresses. Because even when um he was asked about the, you know, the Mercedes pace, the point he made was fair. He went, but there's still 23 seconds behind, which is a fair point. Mercedes themselves know there's plenty of work that needs to be done before they even dream of getting close to Red Bull. But it was the manner and tone in which he said it. It's, it's, it's like, you're the best team at the moment. You're winning. But I just don't feel he has that humble. I don't feel that, that he's a humble champion compared to some of the others that we've seen in the past. Well, a lot of people's opinions of Christian Horner probably come from how they've perceived him in Drive to Survive. And we all know, for any of us that have watched that, when they do talk to Christian Horner a lot, they always, always is a segment throughout the season where they go round to his family home and stuff like all the time. Christian is very blunt about his opinions. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Christian can say what he wants to say, um, you know, and the, and the narrative can be interpreted however they want it to for whatever reason they have. And, and we know Netflix sometimes give people an unfair treatment in terms of mm-hmm. what narratives they want to put forward. 100%. Um, and, that, and that's the opinion of the drivers. It's not necessarily coming from me as an observer. I think a lot of the drivers, I think Lando Norris was complaining about that, saying, oh, they used uh, different audio when he had an incident with his teammate to say to suggest that there's a rift going on there. They did the same thing with Vettel and Leclerc in Austria when they used Vettel's audio from Brazil. Um, and, you know, completely different races, different incident. Yeah. But they have to try and put a narrative to a specific episode. So, you know, take of it what you will. I do agree, however, though, that Sometimes I do think with Christian, I think does get on people's nerves is that, you know, that obviously there's not a lot to criticize Red Bull about. Not that we're looking for things to criticize Red Bull. They're doing an incredible job right now. But I think it is quite legitimate at the moment. Not necessarily the Mercedes thing, but the Perez stuff where, you know, Perez is in this great car. You've got Max doing incredible things. I don't think Perez is a bad driver. I think he's a very good driver. He's not performing to the standard. It's one small thing that is a little bit negative but you have to scrutinize and it's almost as if like oh can't you just say well done to us for being so dominant why have we got to talk about this i'm like well because that's all we're talking about at the moment you have to focus on the good and the bad it's not completely perfect it's as close to as you can get and um i don't know maybe maybe he's taking it a bit too personal maybe we're looking Mm -hmm. too much into this i don't know but it is what it is make your own minds up on that one guys in the comment section on your thoughts on that Um, Let's move on because we've talked a lot about Red Bull in this opening part. Let's talk about the other race that was going on today that um, basically second all the way downwards, which was won by Sir Lewis Hamilton coming in P2 today. Mercedes bringing a lot of upgrades as we saw in Monaco. 
changing the concept a little bit on their car to go more down the Red Bull route. And these were upgrades that Mercedes had kind of baked in for a while. They acknowledged that their car wasn't going to be at the standard they needed it to be. They knew this during the design and development process. They've gone back. They've brought these upgrades in Monaco. In Spain, a track which often does tend to suit the Mercedes concept, even last season we saw that, it was clear as day that Mercedes were clearly the best of the rest. It was almost like we had Red Bull in Max Verstappen's hands, dominating on his own. Then we had Mercedes in a class of their own, and then everybody after that. And I think we have to pay homage to Sir Lewis Hamilton and to George Russell, who the latter obviously had a difficult Saturday, but both of them were brilliant on the Sunday, easily dominating on their own little battle, coming second and third. And I think Courtney, I know you'll be delighted about this, and I'm sure Mercedes fans will be watching uh, the race really happy about it. But this is a really, really good sign that Mercedes are making progress and right now seem to be in the best position to challenge Red Bull going forward, albeit it's probably going to be a long time before they get onto a level playing field with them. I think the pace itself was encouraging, but I think the most encouraging thing, you know, looking forward and long term was the handling of the car. I feel that's the most stable the Mercedes has been since the regulation change and obviously the more stable the car is the more the um, you know the the development team will be able to get accurate data on how to improve the car moving forwards and yeah it was it was very um a very good weekend for mercedes but again it's that driver pairing i have a very very strong driver pairing and i i feel we will continue to have a close battle between them ferrari and aston martin I agree with what you said about it being a particularly strong track for Mercedes traditionally. So not every weekend is going to be like this from now on. But I do expect, from this point forward, I do expect Mercedes to go on to finish P2 in the Constructors, mainly because, well, two reasons. One, the driver pairing they have. And two, I feel that Mercedes will go on a, a slightly stronger trajectory compared to Ferrari and Aston Martin. Yeah, it does seem right now that that to be the case. And this is why I think from this position onwards that Mercedes have to be considered favourites for P2 in the Constructors' Championship. I think if they don't get that from here, it's going to be a massive disappointment. They've got the two, the best driver pairing right now. Both of them are driving very well. The car is starting to behave more appropriately, if you like. Both the drivers seem to be happy. And it is a good sign of things going forward to Mercedes to continue developing on this path and it will bode well for next season if they have found themselves on the right development path. So I, I'd i be very surprised if it got away from him from this position. And um, yeah, as I said, I think there's a lot to be said. Um, in the way the race was going, you know, the question was, was Sir Lewis Hamilton going to get past Carlos Sainz? The moment that Ferrari put, pulled Sainz into the pits early on in that first stint suggested to me that it was inevitable that Hamilton was going to get signed. Either Hamilton was going to overtake signs on the track or it's going to get him in a pit stop or it was going to be a combination of the two, something like that. It, what ended up happening was Ferrari pitted signs early to try and ward off Hamilton. But because of the issues of the Ferrari and how strong the Mercedes was in comparison, we were expecting a massive undercut. As it were, signs only had a few seconds on Hamilton and Hamilton had much fresher tyres. And as soon as he got the move done, it was game over. And Hamilton was in a race of his own just to finish P2. Uh, quite frankly, and hoping to pick up any issues that Verstappen might have had in that race as well. And Russell, a brilliant job from him, you know, coming from P11, difficult qualifying, cut his way through the field brilliantly, had a bit of a scary moment at the start, but uh, fortunately didn't gain any lasting advantage from that. And uh, yeah, ended up solidifying a P3. I think it would have been interesting to see if Russell had started where he probably should have done much further up the field, if there would have been a bit of of a battle between yeah. himself and Lewis. I think that's something that we are going to be seeing a bit more of. Perhaps Mercedes will be concerned over those two, especially what happened in qualifying as well, which of course we should talk about in a moment as well. Well, uh, the Mercedes team obviously will be concerned, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And you know, I'll be saying how boring it's been with Red Bull dominating. If we're going to see the Mercedes being in the league of their own, unlike the Max Verstappen and Perez a gap in quality if Mercedes are in the league of their own which won't be good for the race in general if you can have the two drivers close to each other that's going to add to the excitement of the racing so you know what Mercedes yes they're on a learning curve this season 
I feel that they can afford to actually allow their drivers to battle this season. They're not chasing a championship. So I think, generally speaking, I think that'd be a good thing for not only, you know, Mercedes moving forward, but also for the race, um, the entertainment of um, future races. Absolutely. Um, do you want to talk about that incident with Russell and Hamilton in qualifying? Because, as I said, I think this kind of ties in with the one concern Mercedes will have to address between these two. And it's not necessarily something that either driver really did wrong here. Mm. Um, it was a, it could be a situation that Mercedes will find themselves in a lot more this season. And they have to make sure that they have these situations under control because they don't want to lose points when they're in a position where they look favourites to finish second in the Constructors' Championship. So let's cast our minds back to qualifying. George Russell... Was uh, I think it was behind Carlos Sainz at the time. Looked like he was gearing up for a, a hot lap. Hamilton was also gearing up for a hot lap as well, but coming in much more quicker than George Russell. And then they both go down the straight. George Russell moves over to one side, then comes back onto the racing line, doesn't realise Hamilton is there. They make contact, ruins both of their laps. And uh, yeah, a little bit controversial there. How did you see it, Courtney? I just saw it as uh, the qualifying equivalent of a racing incident. Um, you know, everyone's vying for track position. Uh, let, let, let's not forget how close the qualifying was. The, the the field spread was actually very close for qualifying. So, well, what ended up happening with George Russell just shows, you know, a couple of attempts could be the difference between starting fourth or, you know, going out in Q2. So, those little, those getting that perfect moment on track, getting the car perfectly dialed up, is was paramount in that qualifying session, and I think maybe a little bit like uh, Max did on the Sunday, George kept his uh didn't keep his eye on the ball, and there was just a sort of lapse in judgment. But you know, going back to Lewis and George Russell, this is an example, and the reason why I raise it is if we do go into this position where we have uh Lewis and George regularly battling each other, we've seen anything surrounding Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. There is so much from from the fan bases. There's so much sort of hate. You know, you can't say anything that's slightly negative about Max or Lewis. And I, I just worry. I want to be seeing some great battles between these two drivers. And I, I just, I just don't want to be seeing the, you know, the tedious stuff said online about, you know, George Russell or Lewis Hamilton. Let's just enjoy it for what it could be. Because you're right. If, if Mercedes do go into their own sort of, you know, into their own league. That could be something to look forward to. Let's let's not ruin it with silliness on social media. Yeah, and Mercedes, of course, will have to address this because they don't want to lose points in a championship battle mm -hmm. with Ferrari and Aston Martin, that they are the heavy favourites at this point in time to win. Uh, even before the upgrades were, I thought they were favourites because they had two great drivers doing the business and Aston Martin only had the one and Ferrari were just their own worst enemy at this point in time. So the way I saw that incident, between Russell and Hamilton. I, I agree with Mercedes' assessment of it, that it was just a communication issue that we really needed to address for future reference. And obviously we saw on social media, we saw some people criticising George Russell. We saw some people criticising Sir Lewis Hamilton. And I don't think you can put blame on either driver in this situation. I think what you ended up having was, that, well, let's start from Sir Lewis Hamilton. You know, he he's right up behind George Russell he knows that George, on the replay, we can see that George is not coming at the final corner at the same speed that Hamilton is. He got a toe from George Russell on the previous lap, and Hamilton went to do another one. And obviously, Hamilton may have thought, oh, George is going to back out here. I'm so much faster. He's just going to get out of the way. He's not expecting George to come back across him. Obviously, George does. They make contact, etc., etc. I know people can say, oh, well, the onus is on Hamilton to not drive into the car in front. And I agree, sometimes that is true. But I think in this instance, Hamilton is not told that George is not going to be on another lap. He yeah. thinks George is just going to move out of the way. He's giving his teammate a toe. He's getting out of the way. It doesn't happen. It's a mistake. And, it, and that's what causes the contact in that regard. Then you've got George Russell's perspective. George Russell's on a qualifying lap. And one thing I took refuge with what I saw on social media was the amount of people saying, why is George not looking at his mirrors? He can clearly see all the way down the straight. His teammate is right behind him in his mirrors. Now, for starters, on a qualifying lap, when you're about to start a qualifying lap, the one thing a driver is never going to do is look in their mirrors. Why would they? They're on a qualifying lap. They're going as fast as they can. 
they don't need to worry about what's behind them. There shouldn't be anybody behind him yeah. in that regard, or at least close enough to the trying to overtake them. If there is, then there's a bit of an issue. If it's another driver in another car, fair enough. Not your teammate, though. That's the last the last person George Russell is expecting to see in his mirrors is Sir Lewis Hamilton, let alone if he's even looking at them. So I don't buy that argument that, oh, he needs to look in his mirrors. Same thing as well. George Russell, you can see, is trying to pick up a toe off of Carlos Sainz's Ferrari, who was ahead of him, and backing off after the start of the lap. So George has gone to the right. He realises Sainz is slowing down, so he's come back towards the left. Again, I know people say, oh, why is he not checking his mirrors? He's on a qualifying lap. He shouldn't need to look in his mirrors because there shouldn't be anything behind him. If the team had told him, oh, Lewis is right behind you on a hot lap, maybe George could have gotten out of the way. Yeah. But it was all very quick happening in the moment. I think, I don't think you can put blame on either driver. And I think this kind of stems from a narrative that certain people may have, depending on who their favourites are on social media, where they're like, oh, just attack this one, attack that one. Um, it's going to end up creating a civil war at Mercedes. And, and I don't think the drivers really, other than the original moment where they're both annoyed at each other over it, I think when you look back in the debrief and get all the info from the team, it's basically a non-incident. You get over it, you learn from it, you move on. It doesn't really matter because you both got on a podium and you both did a great job for the team. That's the takeaway from it right now. But uh, I agree with you. I think some of the stuff we saw on social media reflecting this incident, very wide of the mark, quite frankly, trying yeah. to lay blame on either driver. Um, but let us know your thoughts, guys. I'd love to hear your opinions on this one. And um, we should move on, Courtney, to talk about Ferrari. And Let's go. This was a very sobering and difficult weekend for Ferrari because they too brought some hotly anticipated upgrades. Now, unlike Mercedes, Ferrari didn't really know that their car was going to be a, a bit of a dud until early in the season. You know, they didn't have a few months in advance to say, oh, this concept isn't working. We need to go back and try again. Ferrari had to do it much later. They brought new side pods, a new engine cover, revisions to the floor, Obviously, it was going to be a big upgrade package. On Saturday, there were suggestions that it looked like it was going to be good. However, Saturday, that's where the car was strong. We know that. That's something we've known from Ferrari. They're very good over one lap, put soft tyres on a very grippy track. That car is very, very good. Once again, however, on Sunday, there was absolutely no hiding from Ferrari. The same issues that seemed to be embedded with this car concept kept creeping up. And at the end of it, you just had Ferrari scratching their heads again and thinking, what on earth are we going to be able to do right now? And this is this is um, visible from the drivers all the way through to Fred Vasseur. It's very concerning right now for Ferrari. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to find a solution that we're going to see this season. I just don't think it's feasibly possible, even if they did figure this out, to produce something that's going to be good in 2023. Yeah, you beat me to it. I was going to say that... Um the success of the upgrade packages for both Mercedes and Ferrari were going to be season-defining. So the fact that Mercedes have gone one way and Ferrari the other is a little bit disappointing from a Ferrari perspective, actually, even for casual fans, because you want to be seeing all these teams, you know, battling out with each other. And Ferrari actually made it way too easy for Mercedes. I, I, I think we have to have a look at Carlos Sainz and say Carlos Sainz actually had a really strong weekend, did really well in qualifying. He did the best with the package that he had, but he just couldn't pop a defence to Lewis whatsoever. So it is really disappointing. I, I expected Ferrari to take a step forward. But you're right, Adam, that the, the same old problems that they've had since that regulation tweak in the summer break last year or around September time, they're problems and they're not finding any solutions. You're having to look at Aston Martin, Aston Martin, are looking forward, Mercedes are looking forward, but Ferrari are still sort of stuck in that same old place. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a theme for 2023 for Ferrari, that a lot of people probably thinking, oh, why can't they just design a car to be more like the Red Bull? The thing is, in a cost cap era, it's just not possible to mm. change certain core elements of your car and have it all produced in time for a reasonable deadline in the season. Now, Ferrari are obviously working on this. It's going to be embedded in the 2024 car. And I say this because I hope that is the case. I'm pretty certain that's what they're doing right now, if they haven't already. And, you know, Fred Vasseur has been talking a lot about the current concept and that it has potential and that it can still be good. I think the main driver for this 
is the fact that it's just not feasibly possible within a certain deadline to produce core changes to this car's concept that will actually make it good or at least very strong over the race distance compared to strong in qualifying and and that's because of the cost cap era that we're in yeah if they had an unlimited budget then yeah but if ferrari realistically we're talking october time september october three quarters into the season what is the point of producing something good for the end of 2023 when you compile all of that resource into being very good in 2024 and i think we're going to end up with a similar situation with ferrari to where they were in 2020 and 2021 they're just going to they have to try and make this car better to understand it better and hope to take some of that into the new car going forward but i think ferrari in a situation now where it's more likely they're going to be looking over their shoulder at the likes of alpine rather than challenging Mercedes, for example, for P2, or even Red Bull, if you want to go that far. Their best bet right now is that Aston Martin continue to have a decent car, but only Fernando Alonso picking up points where they've got two drivers that could probably overhaul them in the same way Russell and Hamilton have at Mercedes. Well, yeah, and I I feel that with this tight battle, which it often happen in F1, if you have a tight battle, and in this case, we've been blessed. We've got three teams, at least, that are fairly close to each other on the grid. But the two things that will, you know, define where each team finishes is obviously the driver the driver pairing is obviously important, but also the development strategy. We, we've seen with these three teams, they've gone in with three different um, development strategies. So Mercedes have gone in with the, you know, in the season, we're going to give this original concept a little bit of a go, but we're going in with the strategy. If we start slow, we're going to move on to almost a B-spec car. Aston Martin have gone in fast out of the traps and hoping to maintain that. Whereas Ferrari seem to be a little bit more hopeful that they could find the solutions within the concept that they have. And it just seems that right now, Ferrari are going to need to be sort of like bogged down with this for the rest of the season. Because as you said, they are very much limited by the cost cap. So maybe for the rest of the season, obviously they'll be hoping to still finish P2 in the constructors, but they might need just to take a little bit more pain, learn from it and make them stronger for next year. I definitely think if they were to finish P2, it's going to come from their rivals really struggling, which I just can't see right now, rather than Ferrari being good, which equally I can't see either. I think their best opportunities have passed them by, and it is indicative of how difficult this concept is at the moment for them. Stuff, obviously, they, they would have thought otherwise from the simulator that they were going to be very good. I think they just haven't anticipated how much everyone else was going to improve. And unlike Ferrari, Mercedes, the reason why, the, you know, because they've done a similar thing to Ferrari in this regard. This isn't like Mercedes have done one thing and Ferrari have done something else. They've both made similar upgrades in terms of what they wanted to achieve. It's just, it was much easier for Mercedes to do what they did because there were already strengths in the core concept of their car existing, which they've transferred over, that they can still rely on. Ferraris is a completely different situation altogether. And people suggesting to me, oh, well, Ferrari can make this work with a concept that they have, or it's going to get better as the season goes on. All I can say is that there is one other team on the grid right now that is very good in qualifying, but awful in the race. Can you guess which one that is, Courtney? Not McLaren, I guess. That's not what I could think of. I was say I was thinking the Haas. Oh yeah, that's the one, yeah, and yeah. that is pretty much very similar to the Ferrari in that regard. So you know you can take that for what it's worth. I mean, you had Hulkenberg qualifying P8, started the race P7 because of Gasly's penalties, and he was well down the order in 15th in the race. It, it just shows right now that the mm. the concept is just not working, and unfortunately for Ferrari fans, it's not going to get any better the best we can hope for is that Ferrari can try and make the most of what they have, which equally they're not doing right now. We've seen that. I mean, Sainz is doing the best he can. Leclerc's either having a great week or having a terrible week. There's no consistency there. So it's it's literally just pinning our hopes on 2024 and salvaging our mentality, if you like, um, in the interim. I do want to mention quickly, before we move on to Aston Martin, Carlos Sainz. We've got to talk about him because I still mm-hmm. think, you know, even though he doesn't have the peaks that Leclerc has, 
he is doing a great job consistency wise and you know p5 i think that's probably the best ferrari could have hoped for this weekend they beat the aston martins but they were resounded and, and a red well not red bull actually because perez beat them in the end anyway um but they were resoundingly beat by mercedes and red bull in qualifying however where ferrari are very strong if you awarded points this season to, to uh, similar as you do in the race depending on where people finish Max Verstappen r- leads that right now. Second place, Carlos Sainz for Ferrari. Interesting. And that just and of course Leclerc's P3, but that just shows how well Carlos Sainz has been driving to a degree in a very difficult Ferrari. He may not peak like Leclerc does, but he's bringing home the points at the moment. Well, no, the the consistency is key, and Carlos is delivering that. It's just a little bit frustrating if Ferrari just had a stronger car. It'd be interesting, you know. We've already mentioned the. Uh, the Sergio Perez, you know, sort of general gap in quality to Max this season. If you used to throw Ferrari in the mix with Carlos Sainz being so consistent, it would have been interesting to see how that dynamic has turned out. But yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned Carlos Sainz because again, it's it's so easy. Like when when a team's having a bad season, it's very easy to sort of forget about the positive things that are actually happening within that team. And Carlos Sainz is certainly one of those positives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Charles Leclerc had a dismal weekend. You know, it was pretty much cemented because of his exit from Q1. I think it was like 82 races in a row that he'd managed to get through past Q1, never been eliminated there and obviously suffered that. And, you know, he was complaining about issues at the rear of the car and Ferrari basically just decided to change the entire rear of the car in the hope that it would make things better. And judging by his comments on how things were going in the race, it's just the inconsistencies of the car. He had a terrible first stint pace-wise on the hard tyres. Final stint of the race on the hard tyres, it was a lot better. Maybe that was because the track was rubbered in more, the car was lighter. It seems all the parameters for qualifying bring out the best of Ferrari. As soon as you put it in race trim, it's terrible by comparison and inconsistent. So, uh, yeah, a long way to go for them. Aston Martin, an uncharacteristically disappointing week for them by their new lofty standards. Um, the one saving grace, I suppose, is Lance Stroll had a pretty Absolutely. good weekend, all things considered. He was very good in quali, good in the race. He obviously beaten by uh, signs, the two Red Bulls and the two Mercedes. But uh, I don't think you can really make any complaints about Lance Stroll's performance. This is more what we should be expecting of him. This is what he needs to be doing for them. No, look, I, I was the first to criticise him. Um for his efforts in Monaco, you know, if I was on that episode, it wasn't for the technical difficulties. My rant was going to be about um, Lance Stroll. I was gonna, I was gonna ask what the what the hell was going on with him. It isn't good enough, particularly in a close constructors championship. He is going to cost them more more weekends like this. That will well and truly shut people like me up. He needs to be doing it more often, and I feel I was really good for him mentally. I think I think Fernando Alonso went a little bit easy on him at the end. To play the team game to encourage Lance to up his game because he knows that if Lance Stroll is a stronger driver, that is going to propel Aston Martin further on into the season. The one question I do have for Aston Martin, something I discussed with you, Adam, before we come on, is if we go back to the history of the you know, not the Aston Martin team, but you know, we'll we'll say like we won't say the original because we know the, the the team and the factory go back years and years and years. But I'm going to start back from the False India years, and False India traditionally, Racing Point and also Ganatasta Martin was strong. They had the resources to start strong, but they weren't able to maintain that pace. The 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 competitors would catch up and they'd end up back down in the midfield. What's going to be interesting to see is we know there's been a lot of personal changes at Aston Martin. We know that. They followed the concept with the Red Bull, which should be better for them. But it's going to be interesting to see if this is going to be different. Are we going to be seeing the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari actually go ahead the way they usually do? Or are we going to see something a little bit different and have um, Aston Martin truly challenging flat P2 spot? It wasn't very encouraging from what we saw in Spain. It might have been the first signs of you know that team going down the traditional route. Or it could have just been a one-off. Yeah, I think it's more a one-off. I'm very much expecting Aston Martin to be back in the frame like they have been at all the other races this season. Um, It's like with Mercedes. You know, we were praising Mercedes for their performance this weekend, and this is by far their best weekend of the season. But I do feel that the Spanish Grand Prix circuit does 
exaggerate the strengths of the Mercedes and it also does highlight weaknesses in other cars that you don't often get at other circuits. So this was very much a Mercedes type circuit. I'm not suggesting or downplaying their improvements. I do feel that you know, even Ferrari was saying they were making improvements, but I think at the Spanish Grand Prix, given the nature of that circuit, the Ferrari was always going to struggle in race trim if the concept changes or what they're doing didn't really work out. And I think for Aston Martin, it was just they just got to put it down as a dud weekend. They just didn't have the pace. And I'm not expecting for a second that Ferrari and even Mercedes have leapt so much further ahead of them because even Ferrari with their difficult uh, issues with their car, they were still 10, 15 seconds ahead or 20 seconds ahead of both the Aston Martins anyway. So I think you have to take that into consideration when you're sort of quantifying how bad Ferrari's weekend was, when it was like, well, they were still a long way ahead of Aston Martin. So I think it's just a one-off. Fernando Alonso will certainly hope it's a one-off because of all the success he's had this season, the one circuit he wouldn't have wanted that uh, to go away was this one. And yeah, it just didn't really work out for him for whatever reason. I, I can't answer why that is, um, but I'm pretty certain Aston Martin will be stronger at the other races and more like their normal selves again going forward. I want to talk about some of the other highlights from this race, Courtney. Um, good result all round for Alpine. Double points finish again. Ocon P8, Gasly P10. I think Gasly will be a little bit disappointed. Perhaps a P6 might have been on the cards today, given that, um, you know, qualifying he was, what was he, fourth? And then he got two grid penalties. Yeah. So a bit disappointed there, but still managed to get some points and hold off Charles Leclerc towards the end of that race. Esteban Ocon, decent drive, but a very dangerous moment that he had uh, defending from Fernando Alonso. I mean, what was your take on that? It looked personal. I think that's the best way for me to describe it. Definitely on the naughty side. And uh, we, we all know that that's the biggest downside to Esteban Ocon's driving. We know he's a solid driver. We know on his day he can be a fantastic driver. But it's, yeah, it's some, of the, um, some of the defensive work uh, is definitely an issue for him. Um, but as you said, I think they can be generally happy with how the weekend went. And me and Lee commented on this on the uh, in in a preview. This the way that these two drivers finished is exactly where we expect Alpine to be right now. Exactly, and there will be weekends as we've seen already this season that Alpine will be nipping at the heels of the likes of Mercedes, Aston Martin and Ferrari if they're having an off weekend. Um, but at the same time, I think it's more likely that they're just going to have to accept that most weekends are going to be comfortably better than everybody else, but there's still a ways to go before they join that chasing group, if you like, rather than the lead one at the moment, which is dominated by Red Bull exclusively. Um, that incident, for me, people were asking me to compare that and the incident where Snowder got a penalty for his defensive driving against Joe, where he forced Joe off the road at turn one. I think Ocon was quite fortunate not mm -hmm. to get a penalty for dangerous driving, the way he moved over to try and block Alonso off. There were certain elements of it similar to that infamous incident between Michael Schumacher and Barry Kello at Hungary many years ago. That being said, I do think that there is enough room where Ocon can run Alonso out where he did. And... You know, it was very hard and aggressive, but it was very much on the line. I think if it was given a penalty, I don't think many people would have complained. But at the same time, you know, that's racing for you. Sometimes you do get that. With Sonoda's one, as unfortunate as it was for Sonoda, because I thought he was brilliant this weekend, regardless of that, I think you have to uh, I think you have to say it's a fair cop and that you can't force someone off the road like that when you're uh, not even making the apex himself when you're defending. So... You know, unfortunate for Sonoda, but I think the stewards made the right decisions on that one. I think that kind of segues us into some interesting comments that Gunther Steiner made following um, reports. Obviously, he wasn't happy with uh, a penalty that Hulkenberg got, or and he was reprimanded for some language he used, where he was basically describing the stewards as a bit layman and felt that they should have paid professional referees in F1 in the same way that they do in other sports. Um, when he was asked for comment on this and he had to go visit the stewards to be formally reprimanded about this, he basically stated that if he had meant to insult or offend anyone, he would have used much different words. And the stewards didn't disagree with that or dispute <laughs> that at all. Um, I mean, we love Gunther for that, very cutthroat. But, um, I mean, what do, you, what do you make of Gunther's comment? Not necessarily the comments or the language he used, Corny, but more yeah. the fact that 
he was referring to the fact that F1 should have paid professional referees in the sport. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think if we have a look at, you know, this podcast in general, um, obviously, apart from being obvious, uh, Lewis Hamilton fanboys and British bias, I feel we talk about, we talk about the stewarding and, you know, the lack of quality of the stewarding more than anything else, I'd say. It's been really frustrating for us in recent years. And obviously the team principals are going to feel that more than anybody because, you know, some of these some of these choices that they make can ultimately go on across these teams millions of pounds and, you know, big points in championships. So they have a right to be very much frustrated with the quality of stewarding. There does need to be a change. Obviously, there can't be a radical change, you know, overnight. F1 have tried that before and it's failed miserably. But there definitely needs to be a long-term change in approach when it comes to the stewarding because, generally speaking, no, it's not good enough. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the reference he's making. I think we take football as an example that they have paid professional referees to go through training and, and, and a part of a group of people that go and referee matches now, of course, Anyone who watches football, particularly in England, will have their own opinions on what they think of the paid referees that we have and professional referees that we have in this country. Uh, and obviously there's been some news about a particular referee following the, what was it, the Europa League final where he was getting heavily mm -hmm. criticised following that. Again, make your own judgment as you will on that one. But I understand the concept and I think that actually isn't a bad idea. The one thing I will say is what I would prefer... It's not necessarily worrying about having to have paid professionals, but having a pool or a group of people that are regularly um, acting as stewards at races throughout the year, you know, a pool of people to choose from. They go through loads of case studies and case files of previous incidents and have regular training like the referees in other sports do to make sure that whilst, of course, one incident compared to another, it's not really a sensible thing to do. You can see certain facets of an incident or certain nuance behind it um, in the context as well to make a fair judgment. And perhaps that will give a bit more consistency in uh, the student decisions that are made going forward. I don't think you're going to resolve the issue by doing that completely. I think you're always going to have people moaning about the officials when things don't go their way or just do what Ferrari do and have a right to review, review every five minutes and waste that completely. Um, but that's a separate issue, of course. So, um, yeah, I do think I don't think there's nothing wrong in suggesting that. I think the FIA took a bit of refuge of it. But I think, quite frankly, I think it is something that probably does need to be addressed going forward. Um, Joe and Sonoda, we mentioned them, Courtney. I want to highlight their races because I thought Joe Guan Yu was brilliant this weekend. I think yes. he's really stepping up this season. I think it's something that's gone a bit under the radar because Alfa Romeo are not very good at the moment. And, you know, compared to Valtteri Bottas, who, again, he was having problems in this race, but I think overall it's been indicative of how good Joe has been this season. I can't see any reason, you know, regardless of the fact that Alfa Romeo won't be the title sponsors and it will probably just be Sauber next season until Audi come in in 2026. I don't see any reason, given how well Joe is driving at the moment, that he's not going to be driving that car next season. No, if, if Joe was removed from that team for whatever reason, that'd be extremely harsh. He's definitely done more than enough to keep a seat in Formula One. Um, yeah, the, the, with Valtteri Bottas, I've been slightly surprised by it. Yes, this weekend he had um, floor damage, which hampered his weekend. But I, I just, I just feel that since Valtteri Bottas has joined Afro Mayo, there's it hasn't. He seems to have lost some of the energy that he had previously in his career. Again, that might be down to, you know, the ambitions of the team that he's currently driving for. But look, you can't take it away from uh, Zhou Guanyu. He's been he's been doing a great job. So long may it continue for him. And with Yuki Sonoda, it's been interesting because Yuki Sonoda's improved massively. I had Yuki Sonoda down as my flop of the season in our preseason predictions. I feel the reason why Yuki has been so frustrated is because he knows he's made a personal improvement, but the car hasn't been good enough. So he hasn't been able to reap the rewards for the improvements that he's made personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people probably were worried about Sonoda this season. And Sonoda, I think, again, it's another driver that's gone under the radar because of the car that he's driving at the moment. He's not making the headlines. But I think this weekend was, again, indicative of his performances this season. I think he's been brilliant. Very unlucky to not score more points than he has done. And Alpha Tauri very much will be relying on that from Sonoda to try and make progress up the field. I think this weekend 
they lost more ground to Alfa Romeo, who they're fighting in the championship with, and Haas to a degree as well. It is something that's going to be a concern for them going forward. But Sonoda is doing a great job right now. And I think Red Bull will also be keeping an eye on this because um, it's a team that they probably had eyes on him during the Honda partnership going forward. And, um, you know, now that Honda are coming back to F1 in a few years' time with Aston Martin, he may be on their radar as well. We'll have to wait exactly. and see. Um, let's round this episode off, Corny, and talk a little bit about McLaren and difficult weekend for them. I think this circuit pretty much show the characteristics of the McLaren are not as strong in high-speed corners as the other cars are. The race pace wasn't great. Oscar Piastri wasn't able to consolidate his qualifying performance. Lando Norris, very unlucky with what went down on the first lap, running into the back of Hamilton. Um, I mean, what did you make of that incident? Was there anything Norris could have really done? Um, not really. It seemed like he was um, caught in a pincer movement. Um, if anything... He could have been a little bit more careful, but first lap incidents, that was the prime example of a first lap incident. I don't think there's any real wrongdoing from either party, but even if Lando had held on, let's say he held on to like P3, P4, I still think he would have slipped down the grid. I think he'd have ended up in a similar position to Oscar Piastri. So yes, I'll have been disappointed with the start of the race, but I think McLaren... It, you know, we talk about how sobering this weekend was for um, Ferrari. I think it definitely would have been the case for McLaren, particularly given how strong they were on a Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, as I said, it's just one of those circuits where Norris did a great job in qualifying. I I agree. I think it was a bit unfortunate to drive into the back of Hamilton. It ruined his race. But at the same time, even though there wasn't really anybody to blame there, I said, if you want, you can be a little bit critical with Norris and say, look, I know it's unfortunate given the timing. You're getting on the power and then Hamilton gets bogged down and it causes you to go into the back of him. The onus is on the driver behind not to run into the car in front in those situations. So it's just unfortunate for Lando. As I said, I think the saving grace for him would be that he was trying to claw back some positions and judging by their race pace, he probably would have fallen down the order, maybe out of the points by the end of the race itself. So... You know, it, it saved him that disappointment from being overtaken by car after car after car on merit. Um, and I guess we'll never know if he would be able to consolidate points from that position. But again, let us know your thoughts on that one, guys. It, there are some room for it. There is some room for improvement there. There is some progress being made by McLaren. Bringing Rob Marshall in is obviously a huge coup mm-hmm. for them from Red Bull. And that will be seen over time going forward. And obviously bringing in David Sanchez from Ferrari. It's all starting to look quite nicely, that new structure being implemented by Andrea Stella at McLaren. So there is hope for them going forward, but uh, still plenty of struggles in the meantime. But I think that's all we've got time for, guys, for this episode. Just gone over an hour, so I think we'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, if you are new and don't forget to leave us a five star review and of course get your comments in the comment section on youtube let us know your thoughts on the topics we discussed and the race itself but until next time guys we will be back later this week with another episode of course in the interlow period now before the canadian grand prix in two weeks time but until then take care thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember as always if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care Podcast Network.